Hello, and welcome back to the What the Fork Sunderland Preview Podcast. As cliche as it sounds, a week is a long time in football, and especially for Sunderland this week, it's been one of the best examples of it. Sunderland responded to a dire home defeat to Plymouth Argyle by grabbing two wins and two clean sheets with steady performances and wins against Shrewsbury Town and Ipswich. However, as Lee Johnson looks to really turn the screw and put Sunderland into the promotion spots, we do face a Gillingham side who just came off the back of one of their best performances, if not their best performance of the season. However, to preview Saturday's game with Gillingham is my old pal and host of Jills in the Blood. Matt, how are you doing? Good, Mike. Good to see you again. Yeah, always good, isn't it? It's uh, it's actually been a nice way to catch up with people, this whole previewing thing. I think I'm just using it as an excuse now. Are you doing the same? Yeah, I tended to try and get it. It's not all as interactive as like a podcast thing, but yeah, I've managed to get a few people to come on and WhatsApp me videos and then chat to them on the phone. And uh, I speak to Gabe Sutton, who does the um, football lab quite regularly. And uh, like you say, this is our social life at the moment, isn't it? We can't do anything else. It's uh, Skype, it's Zoom, it's WhatsApp, and it's uh, FaceTime and all that type of thing because literally can't go anywhere, unfortunately. It's a, it's a beat of the internet in some ways. It's got many negatives, but I suppose the fact that we can do this, we can converse with the internet is the, the best thing. I suppose before I do begin fully with the football, but also staying on the football in a way, um, the last time the two sides faced each other was at the Stadium of Light, and it was the final time either of us saw our side in the flesh. So at risk of falling down a rabbit hole, which naturally I think we're all doing across every aspect of life, could you ever have imagined when you celebrated that 96-minute equaliser and I kicked my chair in front of me, or should I say my girlfriend did, um, that that would be the final time you'd see the team for, well, it's a year at the moment, it could be longer. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be a year, doesn't it? I think the Prime Minister's been on the TV this evening and talking about, at the very least, putting schools back to the 8th of March. So I'd imagine that means there's going to be some sort of extension to the lockdown. So... 8th of March would be, yeah, a year and one day after that fixture, which is crazy. Um, I remember travelling back that afternoon, absolutely buzzing, obviously, as anyone would. We'd, we'd pinched a point late on. I think we deserved it as well. And it was mm-hmm. a it was a really good game. If you you know, if you take out the fact of it, the, the Sunderland or the Gillingham bias, I think if you'd watched it as a neutral, you'd have enjoyed it as a football fan. And yeah, it's it's inconceivable to think that since then nobody's really set in a football stadium. I know we've had a few games where people are allowed to go in certain areas when we had this tier system, but minimal amounts. I think Jules have played in front of fans once since Sunderland, and that was in front of 276 at Cambridge in an EFL Trophy game. So does that count? Not really. Not for me. Um, I mean, it's (laughs) even the 2000 in the cop. I mean, 2000 in Liverpool's cop just sounds... Bizarre, which is what it was, I think, when the fans were sort of allowed back in. But it's it's been that long that both goal scorers have actually both departed the club. I think Kyle Lafferty is almost on to his third club now (laughs) since since leaving us. And obviously, Mandron's gone to the team he played yesterday, which was crew, which is what I want to start with. Normally, we'll have an assessment of the season, but I think it's been a bit of a funny old season for Gillingham, looking at the results. But we'll start with last night's game. Sure. 4-1 win over crew. How good was the performance? Uh, I think you alluded to it at the start of the podcast. I'd, I'd have it up there as the best of the season. For 90 minutes, we put it together against the good crew side that were 10 unbeaten. And I said on my match preview and speaking to the Railway Men podcast on Sunday that I said 1-0 purely on the basis that you don't like to back your own team to lose. Um, but trying to be sensible and not getting ahead of yourselves after only two games unbeaten after three turgid defeats. But 
crew had drawn six of them ten, I think, that they were unbeaten in. So it seemed that they were drawing plenty. And I said that they reminded me of us last season when we went 15 unbeaten, but I think we drew seven or eight of them. Um, and you're not going to get in the playoffs if you don't turn a few more of them draws into wins. But didn't see it coming. And I'm happy enough to say that. I'd, I'd have nicked, I'd have been happy with a point. I'd have been over the moon with a scrappy 1-0 or 2-1. But we dominated them from start to finish. We didn't allow them to play. Omar Beckles has had an absolute shocker, unfortunately, and I think he's been involved in three of our goals, but that's not taking anything away from us. We pressed high, we pressed in packs. We didn't allow them to settle and play their passing game. And the bloke that you've already mentioned, Mika Mandron, was only fit enough for the bench, so they didn't have an out ball. They had Chris Porter up front, who's, you know, he's been around the block a few years in, in the EFL, and, uh, but he's not the most mobile. He's probably in the, you know, the twilight of his career, and I know he scored their consolation, but we kept him quiet. And, they didn't look to have a plan B. And I think that's one thing I'd say against Crew, for all the lovely football that David Artell has them play. And I don't think they really have a plan B when people negate that plan A of getting it down and keeping it and playing it on the deck. I just think maybe it was just because Mandrom didn't play. So you'd, I don't know. I don't watch them all the time. But that, that would be what I level them against them is that they just remind me of Arsenal a few years ago where they're intent on scoring the perfect goal rather than just having a dig from the edge of the box sometimes or getting it wide and getting it into a danger zone. It's like they want to score like the perfect postage goal, the postcard goal, so to speak. And uh, it bit them on the arse last night and it was nice for a Jules fan perspective to be able to watch it and be comfortable after, well, 45 minutes at 3-0 at half-time, it was done. And we, all we had to do was be sensible first 15, 20 to second period, and we was. And their goal came in the 80th minute. And that was the only gripe, was that we didn't keep a clean sheet that we did deserve overall. Yeah, sometimes it happens like that, doesn't it? When you go that far ahead in a game, you'll go like 3-0 at half-time. Sometimes you do end up conceding that consolation goal where sometimes a 1-0 win where you kind of score like we did yesterday. You'll sometimes get that clean sheet because you're hanging on to that one goal. So I think a lot of people will look at the result and they'll go, oh, Cruz just came off. But I think people, I was looking at the, the league table not too long ago and I think Crew were above us at one point, which is, I think speaks volumes for what kind of side they are. They are, yeah. as you said, a possession-based football, but the likes of Ryan Wintle's there. I know they've just lost Perry NG, but he's been there for a while. Harry Pickering, they've got a good side, so they're not the kind yeah, they've of got side. Very good players, very very good players. I think there's, is it Pickering that was injured last night? Might be leaving oh, as well. Uh, I think there's one other year that's been uh, had a bid coming from the championship, but that's Crew, isn't it? I mean, it's not new for Crew Alexander to have this conveyor belt of youngsters that go on and play at a high level. If you go back to like the nineties, you've got Danny Murphy, Robbie Savage, Dean Ashton, them types of players have all been very very good. There's been plenty since then as well, and I'm sure there'll be plenty more in the future. Yeah, you could even go as far back to say David Platt as well, if we're going as far course, back yeah. as when yeah. we were young. It was, yeah, David um, Platt was the first one, yeah. So it's very much a conveyor belt of talent. Done it for years, so a 4-1 win. Uh, not great for us, you coming into it, but I suppose on the flip side, we've come in on two wins, so it should be a good game. But taking that win out of it, it follows mm. a really contrasting set of results for me. Um Atwick and Stanley, people seem to not like getting beat off them. I noticed that with Hull fans yesterday, but they are a good side. Um, you've beaten them away from home, but then you lost at home to Burton and away to Northampton and, and Plymouth. You sit smack bang in the middle of the table. So does those results I've just reeled off kind of sum up how inconsistent your form has been this season? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I think there's signs that we've the reshuffle that we've had in January in terms of the low knees that we're in from the summer going back and then changing that around and getting the Ollie Lees and the Callum Slattery's and the Tyree Johnson's. Um, and last night, Robbie Cundy as well, he made his debut and was very good. Um, I think they've helped us immensely. That's nothing against the likes of Trey Coyle and Zach Medley from Arsenal who've gone back or 
the two young lads from from Coventry, Drysdale and Eccles, or Scott Robertson at Selwick, who's highly rated. I just think Ollie Lee's a class player at this level. He was he was brilliant at, at Luton when they got up from League Two, and he was decent at Hearts. We had him last season; he was really good. Um, and yeah, he was decent last night. To be fair, he scored a, a very very good first goal. I don't know if you've seen it, but the touch through the centre back's legs and the finish is that's in the Premier League. I think um, Jim White's spinning his yellow tie around all night, but it's um, it's something that sort of gets overlooked a little bit in the lower leagues. It's almost like, oh, well, it must have been a fluke and he didn't mean it, but I alluded to Dennis Burkham. Dennis Burkham did it was a, the greatest goal ever, but Ollie Lee does it and it doesn't get so much credit. But I just think the last three performances, which is last night and Accrington over 90 minutes and the Rochdale draw in patches were a lot more like a Steve Evans team performance from last season that we got. The other ones that you mentioned, the Burtons, the Northamptons, the Plymouth away, Doncaster before Christmas. It just didn't feel like a Steve Evans side. And I know, like we've already mentioned, COVID's had an effect on that. There's so many things. There's no fans. It's Everything feels like a friendly atmosphere. And we don't know whether that's affecting the players or if it is to what degree. Some players might enjoy not playing in front of a crowd because they're not getting barracked or whatever, but other players probably thrive on it. So it's a, it's a weird situation and it's a weird season. And I think like most fans, well, Sunderland might be slightly different, obviously, as a Jules perspective. I think we'd be quite happy to get through the season and make sure that we've got a football club next season because obviously no one's had any income for, like you say, the best part of a year now. But um, we look a lot better in them last three. Since Burton, they just look like Gillingham performances, getting Lee back in, who obviously was a big part last season. We played Tommy O'Connor left side of a diamond last night, um, switched it from the 4 3 3, which we predominantly played. We just looked a lot more solid through the middle of the park. Uh, Cundy coming at centre half and was really good, which allowed Connor Ogilvy to be able to play at left back and get up and down. Ryan Jackson probably had one of his best games since returning. And, and we just a, were a real threat. We got someone alongside for Dane Oliver. And it meant that when he was winning flick-ons or bringing it into his chest and flicking it around the corner, we had people close to him that were getting on the end of it. And I think everyone played a part in, in what was a really good win. Sunderland, I think I say this to you every time we have a chat about games, Sunderland's squad for this level's a joke. Um, you've invariably got the likes of, well, maybe not you watch it every week, but on paper, you look at it, you think this, this team should be in the championship or, you know, be challenging to be first or second, not just getting in the playoffs. But yeah, you've effectively got like a Will Grigg or a Danny Graham's third choice striker, and they'd probably walk into most teams at this level, even Danny Graham at 35. And you've got Charlie White scoring. And, and I think we said before that if you get him scoring, he's going to be a good player at this level. What's he on 15 for the season now? He's, he's absolutely flying. So obviously, I'm not, you know, you've got to give Lee Johnson time. He's only been there a little while. And but it's promising signs. I know you said it's only two 1 0 wins. Clean sheets and three points, like you mentioned, and it's um, it's better than drawing one all every week. <laughs> yeah, and I think unless you're Jack Ross, he seemed to quite enjoy doing the one one every week. Um, you touched before on the the loanies going out, and I remember because obviously we we followed each other for a while, and I remember like the period of all the players ending their loan and going back. I think Robertson went back to Celtic because they had the the buy situation, so they actually needed yep. players that had some sort of professional um, experience. Um, it seemed to me like a lot of the players that were leaving, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but a lot of the players that were ending their loans and going back were almost like ending them early or not extend them when you would expect them to. So in a way, has those loans that what looks like you've been forced to cut short, has that kind of helped you in a way then by bringing in the new loanies and the new players? 
I think it has, yeah, whether that's by, by luck or by design, I think it certainly has. I've said on Twitter a couple of times that no disrespect to the likes of Josh Eccles or Scott Robertson, I think they'll be good players. Whether Scott Robertson will go on and play hundreds of games in the Celtic first team, I don't know. But And Josh Eccles, the same at Coventry, but they're highly thought of. They've got long contracts with their parent clubs. But for me, Callum Slattery straight away just looked a little bit further along in his education. He's still a kid and he's still learning, I get that, but there were just instances on debut against Accrington where he was, you know, if Accrington were trying to take a quick free kick, he'd stand in front of it and stop him from playing. He'd kick the ball away and walk off um, without the referee noticing. Whereas you didn't get that with Robertson and Eccles. They were still a little bit more naive. We'd just let the, the free kick go and then they're the wrong side of the play and suddenly we've got people out of position. Ollie Lee, we know what he offers. He's a goal threat. He's calm on the ball. He offers composure and he keeps it and it hopefully allows us to get it down a bit more now because some of the performances have been not fun to watch this season. We've gone back to front very quickly and it's it's not worked if the front man doesn't hold it up or you don't get runners off the flick on. But last night we played Jordan Graham alongside Oliver and it allowed us to play two ways. It allowed us to get Ollie Lee close to the front too. And with Callum Slattery playing well at the base of the midfield, it allowed Dempsey to run on as well and uh, not have to worry what was behind him. And, and defensively, we were solid as well. And the keeper had a decent enough night. He, he saved what he had to and did what he did without being over overstretched so in, in terms of a performance it was it was everything that you could ask for aside from conceding the late one but you're not going to moan about that when you're already 4-0 up and like you say it tends to happen because subconsciously players switch off whereas if you're 1-0 up and you know the game's still in the balance you don't do that so yeah 100% agree with that um, talking about Gillingham the, the one thing I've always found really interesting to be honest Steve Evans is probably not anyone's choice to be a manager which I know sounds a little bit I don't want to say arrogant, but it sounds a bit snotty because obviously he's done a lot of good things. But I think there's a lot of history with Steve Evans. It's not so much his management. It's the history that he has. And obviously that existed with Gillingham as well. Uh, he's been there for quite a while now. And I'm going back a few weeks now, maybe even longer than a month ago. But I've seen he was having a little bit of pressure. Maybe when you're going through those results, the, the burnt results and, and um, sort of those sort of games. And he's never really been a hugely popular figure from what I can see at Gillingham on the whole. He's never been universally loved, shall we say. But with him being there quite a while, doesn't seem like there's any pressure on him at the moment, not massively. How are the fans viewing Steve Evans now that he's been there, not going on two years? Some still hate him. Some still don't go to games. <laughs> well, no one goes to games, but some weren't going to games before COVID. Get where you um, and they won't go to a game again until Steve Evan walks out the door, whether he walks or whether he gets sacked. And that's their prerogative. I've got no issue with that. People, people have all got different opinions on things. It's what makes the world go round. Um, I was vocal at the time and said I didn't want him. I was on TalkSport saying I didn't want him. Um, but he's won me round. I'm not going to sit here and, and pretend otherwise and say that he's not doing a good job because he is doing a good job. And I've said it a million times and I'll say it a million more. He's made us a better football club and he's made us win more football matches. And for that, I'm not going to complain because under Adrian Pennock, it was awful. We nearly went down into League Two. Um, Steve Lovell, I don't think the sacking was done at the right time, two games from the end of the season. But we're a better football team now. Steve Lovell, no disrespect, was shopping in a non-league market. That was his background. Steve Evans, we can go to Arsenal, we can go to Coventry, we can go to Celtic, we can go to Southampton and get kids on loan. They don't all work. We know that they're loan kids at the end of the day, they're learning their game. And it's, I have to say this all the time, that we're in League One for a reason, because these players might put in a nine out of 10 one week, they're going to put in a four or five out of 10 once in a while, because they're inconsistent. The youngsters are learning the game. Some of the older pros are obviously coming to the end of their career and the legs are going and don't work as quick as the mind. And 
the others are running a mill journeyman lower league footballers. They're not, you know, eights and nines out of ten every week. Because if they were, they'd be in the championship or dare I say in the Premier League. Yeah. But I think true. what he's done is he's improved us, he's made us harder to play against. We're not a soft touch anymore. Um and yeah, I think like you alluded to, the pressure came not the first bad run, because I think the first I said at the start of the season we were playing in batches of five. The first five games we took ten points. Then we when the run when you guys beat us at the priesthood when we missed the penalty at nil nil and then had a player sent off. We were that was in the middle of a five game run where we didn't even score a goal. Um then we took 13 points from the next 15 available. And then I think up until this recent three-game unbeaten run, we've lost we'd lost five of the previous six. And that was the only time where I've really heard the murmurings that he was perhaps under a bit of pressure because we weren't playing well. And we were getting beat by teams that we should be beating, like Northampton, Plymouth, Burton, three games on the bounce. Them games, we were playing sides that were coming in on, on no type of form at all. I think Burton hadn't kept a clean sheet all season. Burton hadn't won away all season. And it was just a throwback to like a couple of years ago, unfortunately, where we were just really poor and made it too easy for a poor side, low on confidence. But we're back to a lot closer to where we should be in the last three games. Like I say, the Rochdale one was patchy, needed a last-minute level up. But the Accrington and the Crew ones have been very, very impressive and very, very promising. But... Again, it's a small squad, and if we pick up a couple of injuries again, we could struggle. But we've got Stuart O'Keefe now back in contention earlier than we thought. So, aside from Dominic Samuel, I think who's out for the rest of the season, we're, we're pretty much at full strength. Oh, we haven't got subkeeper at the moment, though, so that could be interesting. Yes, I was going to come on to that, actually. But um, talking about Steve Evans's record in the transfer market, you're right in what you're saying. He's, um, I think a lot of fans that maybe haven't had him as manager would look at him as a bit of a gobshite, but what sometimes gobshites are good at is having contacts. Um, yeah. And the contacts that he's got has meant he's brought in some you know, players that I've heard of, other people in this league have heard of, that can make a difference. But the one that really stuck out to me was, was Jordan Grimm. I think he's, I think he's probably on, on form, a level above this level on form. Um, obviously, he started yesterday. I think he scored twice in the 4-1 win over Crew. But he's currently got seven goals, six assists. Now, I know he played up front yesterday, but he's predominantly coming in from the left wing for Sunderland fans listening in like a McGeady sense, I think. But just how good has Jordan Green been? Because I've seen you've been waxing lyrical about him online. And he got one last night. I'll correct you quickly, sorry. Yeah, he scored the penalty. Then he set up the second one. It was Ollie Lee that got two. And Carl Dempsey right. got the other. But Jordan Graham's championship quality, easily. I think, and he had a... ACL injury a couple of years ago, which unfortunately set him back a long way and he's had to rebuild his career, which is what happens. But I think if you've seen a few of our chat fans tweeting about him, we laugh and say he's almost like a cheat coded at this level. And he, like you say, it's like McGeady. He probably shouldn't be at, at this level. And maybe the salary cap helped us. Same with Carl Dempsey. I, I cannot fathom out for the life of me why Joey Barton decided that he didn't want to keep Carl Dempsey. I know they got in the lad Callum Camps from from... Uh, Rochdale. Yeah. He scored 10 in about his first 12 games, hasn't scored since, and they've gone right off the ball. But Carl Dempsey, for me, is probably one of the best centre midfielders in the division. But Jordan Graham, like you say, plays from the left, plays from the right. He, he, invariably, if we're playing that system, he'll switch during the game. If he's one on one with a fullback, nine times out of 10, you know, it's going into the six yard box. He's just, but it's not even that, you know, you can, you can compare him to like, uh, Ronaldo when he played wide there's there's not even loads of the step overs it's generally one step over drop of the shoulder turn a pace and he's gone and before you know it the left back or the right back 
they're on their arse. And uh, I know for Dane Oliver, who plays up front most of the time, is thriving on it as well because he's got eight goals this season as well. And I think Jordan Graham's probably set up at least half of them for him. So, yeah, Jordan Graham is championship level comfortably. Yeah. Fit and firing. Obviously, he'd been at Wolves previously. Um, I think he was highly rated at Wolves as well. I can't remember yeah. where he went after that. But obviously, like you see, he did have that ACL injury. And this division is full of either players that are plodders that belong here and will probably always ever be here or players mm-hmm. that have dropped down into this division for said reason, that injury, need to build themselves yeah. back up, personal issues, whatever it may be. And I very much put them in that bracket from what I've seen. Um, someone who watches them every week, though, like yourself, will know a lot better than myself. You touched on Oliver there, another person who's having a very solid season now. What I found quite interesting about Oliver is, I'll openly admit, out of all the strikers you've got, he's probably the one I haven't heard of or don't know much about. Um, John McKinney, obviously, know a bit about him after what he did at Lincoln, uh, the fact that he did relatively well when Lincoln came up last season as well and obviously moved yourself in January. Uh, Dominic Samuel obviously had an injury as well. But it looks like Oliver's been the one that's been scoring the most goals out of all of them, regardless of those injuries. Um, how, how good is he? What, what can we expect from him? Because I don't know much about him. He's decent. I didn't know a lot about him. I won't lie. When it was announced that we'd signed him, I was like, who? And uh, I pride myself on knowing quite a bit about the lower leagues, but that was one that went under the radar. But then I started investigating and um, he started for Northampton last season. They come up from League Two and apparently he was unplayable in the playoff game semi-finals. And uh, he scored eight goals last season in 40 games. And you look at it and you think, it's nothing to write home about. But then we said that about Tom Eves a few years ago and he, he turned out all right, didn't he? So, um, but Dane's been brilliant. He works hard. He's as honest as the day is long. I think every tweet that D3, D4 football put out is, if it's about aerial batters in uh, League One, for Dane Oliver's at the top of it, he very rarely loses an aerial battle. Um, he's decent enough with his feet, probably lacks a little bit of pace for a centre-forward, but then he's not that type. I think we bought Dominic Samuel to be that type after losing Brandon Hanlon, the one that was going to run him behind. And then we've used Jordan Graham there on Tuesday night. So... But you can't you can't fault his his goal scoring record at the moment for Dane. He's got eight in I think twenty five games so or so. So he's averaging one in three in all competitions. So for a free transfer, and I think he's set up about six as well. I think there was a, a stat at the beginning of the season. I think all his goals had been set up by Jordan Graham, and all Jordan's Graham's goals had been set up by for Dane Oliver for about the first month six weeks. That's changed now, but. I don't like pigeonholing people. I pigeonholed Tom Eves a few years ago and he told me off when I said he was a target man. So I try not to do it too much now. He's got all them attributes for Dane, but then he, he's, he's, you know, he's got a good touch for a big man. It's a cliche, I know. But he has, and he's comfortable bringing it into his chest. He's comfortable bringing it down with his feet. Or if you want to go slightly more direct, he can flick it on and win headers and then we can get the Grahams and the Dempsey's and the Ollie Lees running off him and in behind and through into dangerous areas. And, I think he's been a breath of fresh air. He's kept John Akindi out of the side who came in for a fee in January, like you've just mentioned. And uh, John's had to play second fiddle majority of the time. But but he's running into a bit of form as well, John Akindi. He's not scored enough goals. We know that. He's got five in, well, in a year. So by anyone's standards, that's that's not great for a striker. But it's the other things that they offer, isn't it, as well? People used to say this about Emil Heskey and he, he didn't score loads of goals, but he used to play for England because he set up Michael Owen and Michael Owen got 40 goals for England. So... People have different attributes. Some are goal scorers, some are goal providers. And I'd say for Dane Oliver's probably sort of somewhere in the middle. Yeah. When it comes to the signings you've actually brought in, I'm, I'm sort of looking through the list of players you brought in. The list is, is lengthy, but I'm starting to click on after being here for two and a half years. That tends to be the case in League One. 
Um, but looking at names that like popped out with me, Dominic Samuels was obviously one that did. You've explained the, the him missing. Um, Lee Hodson was obviously a player that I've known, been at Rangers, been at St Mirren. Robbie McKenzie was a player that we were linked to in the summer. Lee's not played for us since last season. He's on loan at Hamilton at the moment. Has he gone back to Hamilton? That makes I think sense. It is, yeah, he's definitely he's been in Scotland end of last season and he's gone up there this year as well. I don't think he'll play for Jules again, to be honest. I should know that, shouldn't I? Living in Scotland, but there you go. Uh, my research isn't as good as it used to be. Um, in terms of players that you brought in, I noticed obviously McKenzie missing. You've explained Hodgson, you've explained Samuels. Um, how come McKenzie's not been part of the team yesterday? Is that an injury or...? No, I don't think it is. I think it's Robbie McKenzie coming. Unfortunately, I think Robbie McKenzie is one of them players. He can play centre-back, he can play right-back mm. and he can play centre-midfield. So it was almost like the Alfie Jones replacement from last season because we brought Alfie Jones as a centre-back and then he excelled in the holding role. Um, Robbie McKenzie weren't starting games at the start of the season. It would have been, I think it was Dempsey and O'Keefe. That would have been that would have been the two in front of the back four in a 4-3-3 system. Stuart O'Keefe broke his leg. We needed someone to go in and play in there. And Robbie McKenzie done all right. Didn't start off brilliantly. Um, but then it's the role where if you don't notice him, it's never a bad thing. I think it's not a role you want to be noticing someone because you just want him to pinch possession, give it to someone that's going to go and create. And then he, he got better and better. And I said that he was, I think he won, I do like a player of the month thing on my Twitter page. And he won that for November or December and was really good. Scored. It might have been December. He scored because uh, he scored at Rochdale. And weirdly, we played him in the number 10 that day because we had a massive injury crisis. I think we had four fit substitutes that day and it was it was a complete mash-up. And uh, they're the games you go and win 4-1 sometimes, aren't they? But I think he's just out the side because Callum Slattery's coming and Callum Slattery's highly rated and has been very good in the three games that he's played on the whole. But that's nothing against Robbie McKenzie. I think he's just having a breather, so to speak. I don't think he's done too much wrong. He wasn't great in a couple of games when we lost against the Northamptons and the Plymouths, but no worse than anyone else. So Steve Evans has probably thought we need to get someone in there because we'd lost Eccles and we'd lost Robertson and, and Drysdale had played there a couple of times. So we've gone and got Slattery. Stuart O'Keefe's come back. So it gives us three options there, I think, in them defensive roles whether we play a 4-2-3-1 or whether we just play one of them at the base of a diamond. But I'm sure Robbie McKenzie will get minutes at, at centre-half, right-back or centre-midfield again this season because he, he's been all right. On a, he's, he's been he's been decent enough. And he's a kid again. That's the thing. He's only 21. We've got to remember that. And he played a lot of championship football last season for a poor whole side and um, still learning the game. Yeah. I was just quite interested with him being obviously linked to ourselves as well. And I noticed he kind of not being a... A permanent fixture, but again, sometimes being able to play it right back, left back, in goal, up front, central midfield is kind of a, a detriment, not a detriment, but it can be a problem with getting a permanent position and, and sticking in there. Now, talking of um, departures, obviously, if you Google Gillingham at the moment, the first thing that comes up is, is Joe Walsh. And I'll, I'll openly admit, I hadn't heard much about him. Then it kind of twigged that that was the goalkeeper that was due to play against us and you brought in an emergency loan signing who's since gone on to have about seven emergency loans since he since he left Gillingham. Um, Joe Walsh has only played one game. He is your backup goalkeeper to Jack Bonham, who obviously is one of the better goalkeepers in the division as well. Rumoured to be going to QPR. So he's only played once for Gillingham. He's only 18. He's not really getting in the team because of his age. But because he is a potential star and he's going to division up, is that quite disappointing? I don't know. I won't lie. It's a weird one. 
Yeah. Like you've said, he's highly rated. Steve Evans made him his number two this year and said, we don't need to go and buy a backup keeper. We could have sent him out on loan. He's 18. But Steve Evans said, no, he's, he's good enough to challenge. We know Jack Bonham's number one. Like he's played one league game. I think he came on at Ipswich, it was, when Jack Bonham had to go off with concussion early. And I think he's played, he played all the EFL trophy games. And I think he played a couple of league cup games start of the season as well. Um, again, he's a kid and he's learning and he makes mistakes. And I think his first kick in that Ipswich game when he came on went to the centre midfielder nearly and uh, nearly put us under pressure. No, I'll tell you what he did. <laughs> Minute after coming on in that game, uh, he thought the whistle had gone and picked up a back pass and gave away an indirect free kick, which luckily it didn't go in and he settled down after that and he made a couple of good saves. I need to be beaten in the last couple of minutes and we lost 1-0. Um, but he's... I'm no goalkeeping expert, but all the sounds coming out of the couplet, he's, he's highly rated. But if we're getting what's rumoured to be going around as a fee for a kid who's effectively leaving on potential alone because he is essentially unproven because he's only played seven, eight professional games in his life and he's still a teenager. I can see why we're accepting it because we've not had any fans in the ground since February. We've had no income in that same period. Chances are we're not going to have any income for the rest of this season at the least. So if it helps us get through the next six months, end of the year. I can understand why it's happened and I'm sure we can get a keeper in by the weekend, whether that's another youngster on loan or, you know, it might be someone at the other end of his career who's happy to be a number two, I don't know. But, um, yeah, disappointing, of course, because, you know, there is a chance that he could become a star and could be worth millions, but that would be a long, long way down the line and I'm sure... Mr Scully gets accused of being a lot of things, but he knows how to run a football club and I'm sure he'll put in a nice percentage in terms of a sell-on fee in any um, deal that sees Mr Walsh leave the football club. Yeah. You talked before, I mentioned it a few times, and I suppose, I don't know, almost in a maybe ignorant way, I've got to be honest, um, with everything that's gone on with with COVID and, and the whole situation of not being able to get in to see fans. Like the, the, the big thing for me is I, I can't get to the game. I haven't seen something for almost a year. I find the situation of watching games on TV via the stream. I don't mind it on Sky Sports as much as that sounds like a bit of a sellout. It's a bit better with different camera angles. But the one thing I don't really have to worry about, I might do if the current ownership continues to keep hold of the club, but hopefully that will change, is the fact that I might not have a football club, at least not in the um, the near future. In touch with that will never be the case. But you know, clubs like Gillingham, clubs like um, you could look at Fleetwood, I think are really suffering at the moment. There is a chance that things could go really, really south and you might have to sell off any decent players that you've got, for example, just to stay afloat. Um, mm. with, with Gillingham, how much of a worry is it? Like how long this COVID situation could go on and, and how badly could it affect you? How long's a piece of string? That's the thing, isn't it? Because yeah. the whole thing with this COVID is we don't know how long it's going to last. I think like with the lockdown, if someone had said, right, it's here, it's bad, it's going to last six months, we could have dealt with it, at least we'd have had something to look forward to, but the fact that we don't know, well, means that we don't know, do we? We can't say that, oh, in three months we'll have income, so we'll be all right. I know when it all started, Paul Scully said he probably had three months without income, and then we'd have to start, you know, beg borrowing and stealing, I suppose. Then we had these grants and this bailout from the Premier League, haven't we, where we've all got, a, you know, X amount each, so I'm assuming that's helping. The fee for Joe Walsh will help. Um, but yeah, of course, it's a concern. And like you say, it's not just Gillingham. It's it's affecting Sunderland, who's a massive club at this level, 
Fleetwood, like you mentioned, has that had something to do with Joey Barton going and them not being too quick to replace him and bring in another full-time manager? It seems that they're selling off a lot of their players as well. People that have even only joined in the summer is strange because I follow the lad, is it Ben Natman on, on Twitter? And he's um, very vocal about his football club and very passionate about it. And I don't think he understands what's going on. So... And then you look at League Two, South End are still in dire straits. Macclesfield, who got relegated into the conference and, and weren't allowed to play games this season. Barry went out of existence. That was all pre-COVID. There was issues at this level before then. All this has done is just exaggerated it and uh, unfortunately made the snowball effect a lot quicker and a lot more vigorous and a lot more worrying. So I don't know. I try just to forget it. I won't lie. Yeah. You just sort of try and concentrate on the football side of it. Look forward to each game each week, whether that's Tuesday, Saturday or Saturday to Saturday and do these bits and bobs so that you can actually talk to someone other than the people that live in your four walls or at work and uh, just get by, I suppose. But of course it's a concern because that's what lower league clubs rely on is is match day revenue. Obviously, you you can probably see it from both sides because it's not long ago you were in the Premier League and it wouldn't have had such an effect. But... All the outside stuff gets reduced when you're in League One, unfortunately, and it's the same for for you and other big clubs in the in the division like the Ipswiches and uh, Wigan's another one, isn't it? They're in dire straits. It looks like if um, you'd imagine if they don't get taken over soon, that could go horribly wrong. And at best case scenario, they get relegated and probably get another points deduction. So it's it's sad to see. It is. It really is because it shouldn't be happening in this day and age. No, and it is worrying when you've seen what happened to, to Berry. And you realise how that was pre-COVID and you think, well, if that could happen pre-COVID to them, the thing with Macclesfield was more or less pre-COVID. You think, well, if clubs are having no income whatsoever. I mean, I had a discussion with someone the other day about Josh Doig potentially coming at something from, from Hibernian. And the answer to that was we can't afford him. And I believe the rumoured price is around 650000 now. That probably shows you where Sunderland are at even at the moment. So the, the struggle all across it, but I think the main concern, um, obviously I love my football club, but is clubs, you know, like Fleetwood. And I don't think anyone wants to see anyone go out of business at any point. No, of course not. Especially no. in League Two. Not, not one team, not even that lot that I won't name because um, I like beating them when we play them, which happens often. Um, on the game on, on Saturday, I'm not sure how much you've caught the Sunderland because at the end of the day, I think we're all just watching our own club because it's available to do so. But since we've been on Sky a little, you might have done. But since we actually last played each other, Phil Parkinson's mm. gone. And I think literally yep. the opposite man has come in. It's like the, the opposite of Phil Parkinson is Lee Johnson in character and football style, everything about yeah. him. Yeah. Um, I'm always curious as to what fans of League One clubs in, in specific kind of feel about Sunderland. And we've been here a few years now. I think when we first came down, it was, for us, it was a novelty. I think maybe for other clubs, it might have been a bit of a novelty. And then all of a sudden, we've turned into Sheffield United of 10 years ago. Hopefully, we're turning into some version of Sheffield United that's not going to the season. They're going in, in another 10 years' time. Oh, yeah. But how do you view Sunderland from like a, a neutral point? Now that we've been here two and a half seasons, now we're still not really winning the division at a canter or anywhere close to it. We've changed manager again. Um how do you view something from the outside looking in? You said when, when you first come down and you had the whole um, the documentary as well, obviously people then based opinions on that, I think, didn't they? Which probably clouded the judgment a little bit because people are basing it on a TV programme rather than what they see in the flesh. But in all my dealings with Sunderland fans like yourself and others, and, and when you came down to the Priestfield that first summer's evening and, and dicked us 4-1, 
I've said at the time, I've never come out of a 4-1 defeat as happy as I was that night. And all you lot were telling us we were getting into playoffs if we played like we did that evening. Well, it didn't quite work out for either of us, unfortunately. Um, I like Sunderland. I'm not going to make any any bones about that. I know some fans get the ump and think that there's some sort of complex and that you deserve to win the league at a counter like you said. But I think most Sunderland fans are intelligent enough to realise that football doesn't work like that. And it... Um, as a habit of biting you on the arse, and it's bitten you lot on the arse quite a lot in recent years. So I think you're probably um, well versed in in how football works. And uh, from a selfish point of view, I don't want you to get promoted in the hope that I can get up to the stadium alight again. But from a football point of view, I think Sunderland Sunderland needs to be in the Championship and challenging to get back in the Premier League. It's a huge club. It's a huge football town. It's a wonderful ground. The history says you should be in the top two divisions as well. But on the flip side, the old saying is football's played on grass and not on paper and your history means nothing. It's the here and now and you're there for a reason. And I know there's been sort of other issues that have, have landed you where you are in terms of the ownership that's that's a problem that's ongoing and seems to be dragging on for longer than it should. But I think in Lee Johnson, you've got a very good manager at this level. I think if it hadn't been Sunderland that had come calling, I think he would have probably turned it down. But that's that's the pull, isn't it, for Sunderland and uh, and Sunderland fans? Because you are such a huge club, whether he'd have dropped into League One for say a Gillingham remains to be seen. But but you have that pull, and you can pick up managers and players from the higher leagues and uh, convince them to play in League One. And uh, I think if, as long as you give him time, you won't spend too much more time in this division. Whether it's this season, I'm not sure. But this season's a weird one, isn't it? It's it's, it's so odd because of, and we keep going back to it because of COVID. It's there's, you know, no home advantage, really. It's um, weird without the supporters because it, it doesn't give you that, I don't know, like geeing up if you're not playing well, your fans can get up and sing and it, it gives you that sort of extra um, bit of belief and adrenaline. There's there's not any of that at the moment. So it, you're all relying on players and, and, and digging deep and looking within to themselves to drag themselves through games. But I like Sunderland. I hope for football they get promoted sooner rather than later. But from a selfish point of view, if you could just wait till next season and then we can come to the stadium a lot again, because obviously we're not going to be there Saturday. And I, I really enjoyed it last season. It was a great day out. It's a wonderful football stadium. The view was brilliant. And obviously we pinched a point, which was quite nice. Yeah, it was quite a good day for you. I don't think we lost you last season at all, did we? No, I was down at Gillingham for uh, the league game as well. And <sighs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't enjoy that. I'm not going to lie. It was a, it was a it was a difficult day that that was around the kind of part time Parkinson just took over and yet we all wanted them out because lo and behold we were all right that it wasn't going to work out lo and behold who would have known um, but I think it was Ogilvy ninety first minute I think that day I got up at five o'clock in the morning to get the coach out to Gillingham yeah it was a good yeah, it was nice I enjoyed it I won't lie I've still got the clip on my on my phone. Good journey back, though. Good journey back. I think I went down with the, the Jarrow branch that day, which um, hopefully some of them are listening to, and it was uh, we shared photos of each other's pets, which was quite funny. It was that kind of, it was that kind of night on the way back. Um, <laughs> I always like to look at um, which players you think you know could damage Gillingham, but I've, I've noticed the longer I do this and the more we go on. Sunderland are molding, molding into a team that, as much as we have one of the better sides in the division, I don't think people fear us the way they used to. But one person that I'm sure, surprisingly, everyone is fearing at the moment is Charlie White. He's, he's gone from having two dire seasons to being probably the hottest 
probably the best striker in League One currently at the moment. But someone I really, really rate is, is Jack Tucker. Um, I've rated him for a while. I think he's a good young defender. I think he will go on. I don't know what he's doing like this season, but I think he will go on to go above this level if he continues on the trajectory that he was on, say, last season, just before that. Um, he's got obviously going to be up against Charlie White on, on Saturday. What kind of season is he having? Are you worried about any particular players? Is Charlie White someone that you'd rather not be playing on Saturday? Of course, I'd rather him not be playing. It'd be lovely if he gets injured in the warm-up. With I've just had a look, 12 in 18 games in the league this season, plus a few in cup competitions. Yeah, it'd be lovely if he rolls his ankle. But um, no, all jokes aside, Jack Tucker's been all right this season. He's missed Max Aymar. Um, and it, it's been a problem position for us, I won't lie. I said at the start of the season, we needed an experienced centre-half and we never got one in. We went with youth. Um, Zek Medley went back. We've already mentioned that in January. We've got this lad, Robbie Cundian, but he's not experienced. He's 23, so he's a bit older than Zek Medley. Um, and again, he's probably slightly further in his, his football education. I know he had a decent spell in League Two uh, with Cambridge, and then he got recalled and went to us. So, And all the um, Cambridge fans were disappointed. So that's that's a good sign when they're abusing our Twitter feed <laughs> and calling Steve Evans all the uh, names you can imagine he gets called, um, which are usually to do with his weight, his uh, nationality, and... Uh, people who work in a bank so <laughs> um so yeah so it'd be I think it'd be Tucker and uh Cundy will be up against Charlie White Jack Tucker like I say he's probably plateaued off this season that's not to say he's been poor but there's just been more errors than last season I think last season he was cajoled through games because he had Max Amar one side of him and the experience of Barry Fuller at right back as well and Ryan Jackson's now come in plays right back he's experienced in the sense that he's 30 and he's played plenty of games in the league but He's not the same type of player as, as Barry Fuller. He's not as vocal. He's not so much of a natural leader. And obviously, he's played with probably half a dozen centre-back partners this season, which is never ideal. So, fingers crossed him and Cundy can become the first-choice partnership and uh, start building up a relationship, and that'll give us half a chance. But it'll be a tough game. Charlie White's, you know, he's, he's not at the end of his career, but he's been around the block in League Two and League One with Carlisle and Bradford and now Sunderland and... Uh, like you've said, I think you're getting the player now that you thought you was getting when you bought him a couple of years ago. And he's another one who's had a couple of injury problems and was very stop-start, but he's benefiting from a run of games and a manager that believes in him. And I think that does wonders for any player at any level. And uh, it'll be a threat, but he's not the only one. I always do this and sit and look at this player list of yours and just think, Jesus Christ, how are you in League One? But that was a nice confidence boost for us. probably say two words, Phil Parkinson or Stuart Doddle. Yeah. Yeah, I would go with either. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I was going to ask, you know, as you're going through that list and stuff like that, because I like a little confidence boost because there'll be a lot of people listening and I'm very much guilty of it, who looks at our side and goes, probably the worst side we've ever had on paper, rubbish, useless. Uh, but he's, he's that. And, and it's just a case of we've got a lot of players that are probably below the standard of what we had five, six years ago and we dropped so fast. I think the quality that you're watching drop so fast. And I think we didn't expect to be here as long as we, we have been, and we don't know how long we're going to be here. And I think we're a bit worried about how long it might actually be. But in the cold light of day, you look at the team, and I was looking through our team last night compared to, say, Ipswiches, who are also a big side. And I didn't recognise that many. And yet I, I feel like people will recognise the players that are at Sunderland, and maybe they're not playing to their reputation. But I know that we have players that should realistically still strike fear into certain teams. But apart from Charlie White, is there any players that you particularly look at and you think, not fancy coming up against him? Just look at the people that don't even get in your side. I'd have a couple of them. I'm not going to lie. You can have some of them if you want. I mean, I'll tell you, 
I'll take Will Grigg to be backup striker. I don't mind. Two pounds I mean, fifty. If you pay his wages. I'll, I'll drive up. Oh no, I can't drive up and get him, can I? But <laughs> this, yeah, you're right. I see what you're saying in terms of when you first come down, you saw the names, you saw the McGeedies and that type of thing. But now, obviously, they've been phased out. But he's being phased back in again. Yeah. It seems that Lee Johnson likes him and wants him to play, which you're stupid not to. You can't you can't have too many Aidan McGeady. He's quality, absolute quality, full international and uh, like Jordan Graham probably shouldn't be playing at this level. But so we'll be a threat. I like Luke O'Neill. I think he's a good player. Again, it's probably because he comes from he came from Wickham League Two, League One. He's a proper EFL player. Yeah. Um, I remember Tom Flanagan being on loan at Gilles when we won League Two, and that was a few years ago now, but. He's done all right for himself. He was decent at Burton. He's probably another one that you boys think mm, he's all right, but you know we could do better. Jordan Willis, the same. But like you've said, it's expectations, is it? I look here as a Gillingham fan coming up from League Two and League One all my life, and you're coming down from the Premier League and thinking, oh, we used to have Jermaine Defoe and we used to have Seb Larson and we used to have this player and that player. And so it's all about levels, unfortunately, isn't it? So and you're having to still slum it. So, but it's. On paper, it's a good squad. You've got good Chris Maguire's a good player. Grant Ledbetter, loads of leadership, loads of experience. Lyndon Gooch is decent. I'm going to stop reading it because it's making me depressed. It's making me depressed as well in a kind of roundabout way. But I do, I, I think, Matt, I don't mean to blow smoke up your ass, but I think you speak very well about football. I think you put things in a really good perspective. Um, I think there'll be I'll a lot try. of people there will be a lot of people out here that and, and kind of see where you're coming from and agree with it 100%. But um, last question as always, I'm pretty certain that you're a predictions man. Um, I'm going to go with my prediction first because every time I've done it this season, we've won. So fingers crossed and touch wood. Then I'll write it on my phone first and then we can... Uh, <laughs> no one knows we're lying, cheating or copying each other. I've been saying 1-1 over the past few weeks because it's kind of the the correct score length something I've had for the past few weeks. But I, I'm going to say 1-0 because we're at home. We need to improve the home form, even though it's not really at home. It's just at a pitch. Um, but I feel like, you know, it's relatively solid. I don't know the Bailey Wright's fit or not because he took that knock yesterday. But I trust Dion Sanderson. I trust Jordan Willis. Um, Max Power. I trust as a right back, which is another bizarre situation. Um, I think we should be okay to get a 1-0 win there. But... I never know, but what, what's your what's your predictions? I don't know if you can see it. It's gonna. I've said one all. Staring one all for me. I've said one all. It's um. If we'd been playing you before the Atkinson Rochdale and uh, Crew games, I'd have probably said about seven nil to Sunderland in fairness because we were dire for the three before that, and I wasn't looking <laughs> forward to it. Um, but no, like I said right at the start of the pod, I think the last three games, certainly Atkinson and crew have been proper Jill's performances, proper Steve Evans teams. And uh, I'm a lot more confident now. I'm looking forward to it. And I won't mind parting with £10 so much as I probably would have done about a month ago, to be honest. But um, it'll be tough. I know that. And it'll be <coughs> it'll be hard work. And we'll have to be at it like we was last night from the first whistle to the last whistle. And everyone will have to be at the top of their game because Sunderland are a massive club. Sunderland have got good players and Sunderland are challenging to get in the playoffs. So... And you're coming off the back of two decent results, whether the performances are, you know, brilliant or not, is is neither here nor there now, in my opinion, because it's it's a new manager and he's trying to get his own ideas across, and that takes time. So if you can pick up points while still trying to learn the Lee Johnson way, then obviously it stands you in good stead for when he does get them ideas across, and you should improve. So fingers crossed, we catch you on an off day, we have a decent day, and. Uh, us two can still talk on Monday morning. <laughs> Fingers crossed, mate. I'm sure we will. But um, <laughs> Matt, thanks as always for popping on. Technically, your, your, your first 
your first uh, your first guest first appearance on this one. But on this one. Chat with you, yeah. So yeah. match ball of sorts. Match ball in a way. Two, two and a half balls, we'll see. I'll cut one and a half for you and send it down because I can't drive it down, much. as we know. Um, but thanks, Matt. Thanks as always. No, I really enjoy it as always, mate. Thank you for inviting me on.